Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for him. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring good news. Everybody say good news. Now you gotta say it, good news. That will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. <laughs> the Lord, this will be a sign to you. You will be find a, a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a, a feeding trough, a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for new life. Thank you for the story of hope. Reminded today as we lit the candle of hope, to begin the journey to Christ our Savior. We have hope today not in some frivolous thing that moves from here to there, but we have hope in Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you are with us today. Your Holy Spirit is here. Speak to our hearts. Speak into our lives, as you always do, through the Word of God. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated this morning. Let's show our appreciation to the worship team for leading us in the worship. Uh, we, are, we are beginning the season of Advent, and Advent means coming. It is uh, the period of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus um, at Christmas. Now, isn't it true that Christmas is a time of waiting and hoping? Uh, waiting and hoping isn't easy, especially depending on your age, right? Uh, the expectation of Christmas can be hard because we have so much hope wrapped up in what we want it to be, and sometimes it doesn't live up to it. Our hope can dwindle if we get what we want, what we need for Christmas, and not what we want, right? Ever been in that situation as a kid, you're hoping, you, you let out all the hints about the Christmas gift, and you, you prime your parents, and you said, yep, I, I know I'm gonna get it, and you open it up at Christmas time, and it's Fruit of the Loom underwear. Right? I've been there. It, it, you know, you get what you need, not what you want. And so this is true for the gift, gift giving, but it's also true of our spiritual life. Uh, here's our main point of our message today. Sometimes what we want isn't what we, we need. 
And here's our, here are some of the, our disappointments that lies during the Christmas season. This is really a description of the, of the first Christmas that I just read to you. Wrapped up in it was um, a generation looking for a savior that would come in a specific way. It's what they wanted. But Jesus comes wrapped in a manger what we need it. Can hope come in a feeding trough? Uh, about five years into our, our marriage during Christmas, Rochelle thought she had me tricked because she thought she had bought me a gift that I wouldn't guess. Uh, you have to understand that I'm one of those people who cannot keep a gift secret, and I'm determined to find out my own gifts. I have tricked my kids and manipulated them into telling me what others have for me for Christmas. But in 2004, Rochelle bought me a gift that I would never figure out. She was so, uh, she was so sure of it that she would tease me leading up to Christmas, which was a no-no. It wasn't purchased on a, a Visa or a debit card because I checked every day. I probed Gabrielle at the ripe age of four to see if mommy said anything to her about my Christmas gift. She was so tight-lipped about it. I was so convinced that this time she would truly surprise me at Christmas. But about three days before Christmas, I am proud to say, we were sitting on our couch after supper and I was telling her how impressed I was with this, this year because I couldn't figure out the gift. No joke. The phone rings. And I answer it with a cordless phone. And on the other end of the line was a person. And they said, can I speak to Mr. Newman? And I said, this is Mr. Newman. And the, the other person on the line said, this is Sears Canada calling to confirm a purchase you have with us for pickup here on Camout Road. And I said, I didn't purchase anything recently from Sears. When I said this, my wife perked up from her chair. <laughs> And it dawns on me. And the, and the serious person on the other end of the phone says, uh, Sir, what is your address? And at the time I said, Five Rodora Street. She said, Yes, you purchased a Pro Form 3000 treadmill from Sears on December the 3rd. And Rochelle recognizes that the lady on the other end of the phone let the cat out of the bag. And I recognize that out of the providence of God, that he had her call me and for me to answer the phone. God was on my side. And I said, no, I didn't purchase it, but my wife did for my Christmas gift. And it, it, a cat was at the thing. And by the time Rochelle is standing and screaming, it's his Christmas gift, don't say anything. And I'm saying to her, it's my Christmas gift, thanks for calling. <laughs> Apparently, a treadmill is what I needed for Christmas, <laughs> not what I wanted. There were some hidden meanings in there, and that, true, that story is true as the Bible. If it wasn't, it should be. No, it is a true story. And so, you know, um, the, the message today is about what we need, not what we want. Uh, people in, in the first century unwrapped this baby in a manger, and, but it wasn't what they were expecting. They, they, they wanted a political king to ride in with pomp and prestige, but they got meek and mild. Need and want. Yet meek and mild is what we need for our sinful, frail, finite existence. We needed something to fix our pain, didn't we? We needed something 
to fix our, our sin and our frailty. And, and the truth is, we are frail. We are, we are frail and fragile creatures. We really are. When we have long periods of good health, we think we are resistant to sickness or disease. We have influence or affluence, and we think we are on top of the world. But of, of course, human beings are frail creatures. If you simply limit your air or sleep or water, not eliminate it, just limit it, and we will only survive a few days. We're like a vapor. We're fragile. Our life can be completely altered in one moment. And this is a fact. This is not, not a de debatable philosophy. Life is a vapor. Our tendency is to draw back, isn't it? And we don't want to risk anymore. We don't want to believe anymore. We just want to kind of hunker down and hold on and settle for what we have currently. And if you have never felt that, you haven't lived long enough. It is the human condition. I wonder if you feel that way during a time of the year where there should be joy and glitz and glamour of this Christmas season. Do you feel like you just want to withdraw because of fear? Fear of, of the unpredictable, the painful that this life can bring sometimes. And that's you this morning. The Christmas story comes rushing to your aid. It is the, the, the Christmas story that reveals the antidote to this real human emotion and human condition. Sometimes what you need, we want, sorry, isn't always what we need. The Christmas story is the complete opposite of how we would have written it. If we could create the story that brings hope to this world, hope to our fear, it would have sounded so much different than what it was. Take, for example, for example the entrance. Just consider God's coming to the earth. It's exceptional. Let's keep in mind that he, he's God. Because he is God, he reserves the right to enter the world whichever way he wants, whichever way he chooses. And it would be justified. He is God. He can do how he pleases. But his entrance to the earth speaks volumes of who our God is. What about his accommodations? What does God choose for his first night on the planet? He chooses in his providence that all hotel rooms were booked. He didn't forget to book one along the way. He intentionally wanted all, all normal accommodations to be full. What he was left with was, was what most likely resembled a cave, and we call a manger, surrounded by the stench of animals, surrounded by shepherds. And we, we, we think shepherds are romantic, right? But they are actually lowlights and night watchers and completely unfit to even fulfill the religious law of the day. You didn't tell anybody that shepherds were your friends. God says, I want shepherds and animals. There is a, a dark cave in a nowhere place called Bethlehem. And when my son is born, I want him to be, to be mothered by a virgin teenage girl who will be the providers and caretakers for God. That's his entrance, his accommodations, his, and his upbringing. What about his upbringing? He will be fathered by a puzzled stepdad. His first bed intentionally, sovereignly, the first place he lays his head, God on earth, is in a feeding trough for animals. It's not what I would choose. God in a manger, raw, cold, messy. Why? You have to ask, why? What message are you trying to send us? A puzzled dad, a mystified teenage mom, smelly animals, a cave, bewildered shepherds, in a nowhere town called Bethlehem. 
What are, what are you trying to say, God? You could have come in royalty and splendor in a parade, but you came in some distant cave in an obscure town. What message are you trying to tell us in the middle of this Christmas season? And upon looking at the nativity before you, you know it, you have the whole gospel. It seems to me God is in intent, intent on not skipping any risk coming to this planet. It seems he is bent on facing all of the fragility that this life has to offer. In the raw, rough, crowded, crude form, he, he, he will come and subject himself to this planet and people and all of its pain. So if you are wondering today, is, is there a God? Indeed there is. And next, the next question, is there a God who is interested in, in the affairs and the details of my everyday life? Yes. Look at his first bed. He reveals a gift that we need to us from a dirty bed, a feeding trough. And the message is clear. There is a God who is keenly aware of your pain and your challenges and your problems. And you wonder today, you wonder, is there a God who cares about my financial situation? You wonder, is there a divine being in the universe who cares that my life is crumbling? Someone who can supernaturally alter the downward spiral of my life, yes, a thousand times. There is a God who came and faced the frailty of this planet. And the message is clear today. If you look at Jesus in this feeding bowl we called a manger, there is a message there. It's a message of hope. It's this. Life is fragile. We would all agree. But God would say, what? But I'm not. I'm not. What are you and I going to do with the fact that life is fragile? What will you anchor yourself to? How will you keep your head when life surprises you with something devastating? This is real, real life. And, and we, we live on an earth that is racked with, with sin. And I'm sorry if you think that this because you are a Jesus follower, that you and I are, are, are impervious to this planet's pain and challenges and difficulties. And I'm sorry if you thought that church attendance and hours logged in prayer equaled no pain, no sickness, no death. If longevity of life were based on hours in prayer, my uncle who died of a horrible disease would have lived to be a 300. Even good people die before their time. What are you going to do with the fragility of this life? How are, you, how are you and I going to make it through its challenges, its mountains? How do people function after the senseless death of a loved one? This Christmas, some of you will, will celebrate Christmas less one person. It will be less gifts because she's gone or he's gone. How do we keep our head? Is it optimism? Is it, is it humanism? The power of the human spirit? Is that going to get us through the unpredictability of our existence? There is only one sure thing on this planet, only one. It is not your social status. It is not your health. It is not your wealth. It is not even your prominence. It is none of those things. And I cannot guarantee 
any of us those things. As your pastor, I wish I could. I wish I could promise you you would always be healthy. I wish I could promise that nothing bad will happen to you. I, you know, I promise you that there will never be grief or pain or loss. I guarantee it, but I can't. But there is one guarantee in this life. And he is God. And he came in an infant form and he laid himself on a crude, cold manger to speak to all of humanity that, that I will come as the great creator of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And for 33 years, I will face the fragility of this planet and lay a rock of assurance for the ages. Amen? And the angels declared, there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior. Isn't what, that what, what we are looking for today? Isn't that what we need in this sin-stricken planet, someone to help through the unpredictability of this life? Is there a savior? And the angels, he has arrived, he has come. See, the, the word savior in Greek is this. It means rescuer. It means provide, preserver. It means deliver, deliverer. And it means benefactor. Wow, this is our Jesus. We celebrate his birth, but his birth was all about his death. All over this world, world, and here in a few weeks, we'll celebrate Jesus' birth. And the essential key to the celebration of this birth is why he was born. He was born not to live, but to die. His death once and for all laid a foundation and a rock that could be tethered to for all the fluctuations for existence in, in our human beings. There is one sure anchor. It is the rock, and his name is Jesus. He is Savior. And like an anchor, we, we ground ourselves to the Christmas story, but we hold on to the hope of the cross. We celebrate the baby. We experience the cross. You hear what I'm saying? From Bethlehem, there was a seed planted filled with so much hope and expectation. And this seed grew up to be a tree. And to understand this birth at Bethlehem, we have to experience the cross of Calvary. We cannot even appreciate the birth at Bethlehem until we experience the cross at Calvary. And God came down in flesh for you and I. And the birth alone is an anchor, but if we're not careful, we just celebrate a birth and not also his resurrection. First Peter 1, 3, and 5 says, if I can find it, praise be to the, one, to the God, and I put on my glasses, <laughs> And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. We just sang about it. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All the hope in Christmas is found in the resurrection of Jesus. His resurrection cemented his ability to be your anchor of hope. We anchor to his birth and hold on to the hope of the cross. It goes together. It's the anchor that tethers to this unpredictability of our life, and we hold on to it. And sometimes we buy into the illusion of, of, of control. We, 
we have some longevity in success, whether it's health and, and wealth. And before we know it, we forget how dependent we are on the anchor of hope. We start boasting. James talks about this in James 4.13. He says, come on now. I, I hear how some of you talk. And he says, today or tomorrow, we will go to this, this or that city, spend a year there and carry on our business and make money. Start a business. And James says, really? Why? You do, not, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? He says, you think you're, you're not subject to the unpredictability of this life? He says, what is your life anyway? That's a great question. You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Instead, you are ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Now, what he is saying is not, if somebody asks you, are you going to work today? You don't say, if the Lord wills. That's not what he means. Or if someone says, are you going to, to, to the dentist? Well, if the Lord wills. Uh, I had a friend in college. He, he was so head in the cloud spiritual that even when he, he, he was tired, I would ask him if he was going to bed. And he would say, if the Lord wills. See, that is just nonsense, okay? Nonsense. It's not the verbiage or the vernacular, you see, we are so famous as Christians to insert the verbiage and vernacular, but never truly embrace the heart and the attitude of, of, of Scripture. The attitude and the heart is, is one that says, I am not in control. I trust God. I'm making my plans, and we ought to, to believe, to strive for excellence in our life, in our plans, in our future. But I pray that when challenges and mountains and difficulties come your way that you are not caught unaware or unprepared, but that you are already anchored to the rock of the ages. Is that, is faith, is hope, is that going to get you, you through? Faith is, is not the answer to humanity. For faith in and of itself has no power unless it is invested or placed in something. Faith uninvested is mere humanism. If you're wondering what humanism is, I'm going to tell you. A rationalist outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Beware of faith in faith or trust in trust. That's, that's a little spiritual. That's, that's religious, but nothing more than humanism. There's no power there. Someone said to me just a little while ago, they were expecting the worst, and their answer in preparation to it was, I have trust in me, in my own faith. I'm going just to drum up some optimism and believe in myself that I can get through this. You have no faith in your faith. Putting your trust in your trust or your faith in your faith is nothing more than just an anchor, apparently a really heavy one. It's like, it's like placing an anchor on yourself. Do not take any pictures. <laughs> right? Putting your hope in you. And, and those who put their trust in their own trust or their own faith is like a sailor in the middle of a storm admiring his anchor. While he's, his ship is sinking. Boy, look at that some pretty anchor. Well, just shine her up. Look at her, boys. Come on, gather around. Isn't she a beauty? Right? And, and someone steps up and says, Captain, <laughs> permission to speak freely. Go ahead, go ahead. There is a storm, 
and we, and we are going to die if you do not plunge this anchor into the abyss until it, it hits solid ground so that we might live. Please take this from me. Go ahead. Who's the anchor of your soul? Who is the anchor of your soul? How many people have been lost in storms because their arrogance is caught up in their own confidence to get them through? Faith is not to be admired. Faith is not a badge to wear. Faith is trust that should be thrust into the abyss and the darkness of life's uncertainty until it anchors in the sure foundation and solid Savior whose name is Jesus. Amen? And our faith, our hope is in Jesus, not in community, not in, not in others, not in programs, not in websites, not in meetings, and not in songs. Our hope is in a person. He is the only sure thing in humanity. In times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips the what? The solid rock. This rock is Jesus. I wish I could sing. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds. And what? Grips the anchor in your life. The solid rock. Be very sure. And I love how David, if you need someone in the Bible to shoot straight, go find the book of Psalms. David says what we are all thinking. Listen to him in Psalms 39. He says, I need a reminder how, how long my life will be. I was starting to think I could live forever. He says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just, just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath, interlude, which means stop and think. Stop and think about that for a second. I will live to be a hundred, just a breath. And then he says, we are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. How much busyness and rushing happens in December, right? It ends in nothing. Give it six months, a few years. The gift you, you odd and ood about will be gone. It's over. You'll forget about it. That treadmill I had is in the garbage. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> We heap up wealth not knowing who will, who will spend it. Listen to what he says in verse 7. Where do my hope, where do I put my hope? Where do I place my anchor? We all have one, you know. Life is made up of one simple decision. Where you place your anchor. Where am I going to draw sanity from? Where am I going to draw security from? Where, where am I going to draw confidence from? So where do I put my hope? I love how David says this, my only hope. Live long enough and you will discover this is to be true. I only got one. My only hope is 
in you. Wow. He's all I got. And I pray um, as we walk through this Advent series and as we gather around our Christmas tree that you will remember amidst what I hope is the great laughter and memories and the gifts you always wanted, even if it's a treadmill, right? That you will also remember the one who hung on the tree. He is the anchor for all humanity. 1 Corinthians 10, and I don't have time to go into it, but it speaks of ancestors, the children of Israel. It says, I don't want you to forget, uh, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness. Long ago, all of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. They lived, they, they struggled, they stepped out in faith, they lived different but similar lives. And you remember them in the cloud and in the, in, in the sea, and all of them were baptized as followers of Moses, and all of them ate the same spiritual food. Now listen to this. And all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. What they needed, not what they wanted. And here is the paradox as we close. Here is the paradox and the divine contradiction of our solid rock. As the band comes back, he is firm and fixed, but he's always available. We haven't, you know, in, in Newfoundland alone and in Canada alone, we have these epic mountains that, that we, we, we go to see, right? We have, in order to see their beauty, you can't appreciate them from seeing them in pictures. No matter how high depth the picture is, there's something about going to them and seeing them, right? But the, there's a rock of all ages who is fixed and firm as the most monumental rock on the planet, but yet he, will, he, he journeys with us. He will be there in any struggle. No matter how far you've fallen, He's there. Just drop your anchor. Don't waste your time trying to make up the right prayer or the right religious routine right where you are. Wherever, whatever problem you're facing, drop your anchor. He is solid. He is firm. He's dependable. And he is faithful. He is faithful. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. In the unpredictability of this life, drop your anchor. In the middle of uncertainty of your situation, drop, drop your anchor. You better get your anchor down. You better get your anchor down so that you are tethered to the anchor of hope. Jesus Christ. And if you would have asked the first century people, would you stand with me all over this room? If you were to ask the first century people what they wanted in a savior, they would have said, a political king. It's what we want. We want prestige and power and might to, to overthrow the government. But he came in a feeding trough. He came to die, to tackle all of our pain and sin and to be the anchor in the middle of our shifting life. Christmas has never been about what we want, but what we need, the anchor of hope for our souls. Could you bow your head all over this room for a moment? I'm not going to call you forward today. I want you to
make an altar where you're standing for this Sunday. And maybe today you've drifted and, and because of some news or something that's happened in your life and at the beginning of this Christmas season where there should be joy and, and hope for you is despair. You're reminded today that he's your anchor. Maybe today uh, you have never tethered yourself to the Christmas story, both the birth and the resurrection of Jesus. And today for the first time, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you feel that in your heart, that, that, that gap, that hole, and you want to make a decision and anchor yourself in the only thing that's sustainable in this world, Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you today. And so in our seats, I want you to take a moment as Pastor Justin leads us in a song, a very familiar one. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you at the beginning of this season as we lit the candle of hope, as we journey toward the Christ candle later on in a couple of weeks. As you stand right now and contemplate what brings hope in your life, remind it is Anchor of Hope. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.